The message you are listening to was recorded by Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota, for the 2016 Twin Cities Project. More information about Campus Outreach Minneapolis can be found at cominneapolis.org. My privilege to introduce Paul Delahunt to uh, come up and talk. And um, Paul's a good friend, um, University of Minnesota uh, graduate. And I'll go ahead and give kind of a little bio of, of himself and, and his family. So, thanks, Paul. Yeah. So my name is Paul Delahunt. I'm from the Twin Cities. Uh, I've been here all my life. My wife Heather is sitting over there with our daughter Kate. Kid is uh, 15 months old, and we've got another daughter on the way she, who's scheduled to join us here in August, so we're, we're thrilled for that. Um, Heather's from Iowa. We already made a connection. I met Jake and Josh over here. Josh went to Georgia Tech with a guy who grew up in the same small town in Iowa that my wife did, and uh, they met each other first day of kindergarten, and we're best friends, and he's a friend of ours now, so small world, small world. So I met... Um, Jake and Josh, I met Zach and Sarah, I met, oh shoot, I'm blanking on you guys' names, even though he just said them. Yeah. And, yeah. And uh, some of the rest of you as well, so, uh, Nathan, this <laughs> So, uh, this is my third time actually being a part of the Twin Cities Project. Um, I don't know, Nick, I guess, and Pete would like to, to have me back, so... <laughs> Um, um, little little bio. I uh, grew up in Shoreview, which is the north side of the of the Twin Cities. It's very close to Bethel and Northwestern, so I was in that area a lot growing up. I went to the University of Minnesota, studied finance there, graduated in um, uh, December 2008, and started with Wells Fargo right away after that. And I've been with Wells Fargo ever since. I've uh, done a couple different things. Right now, I'm in the corporate banking group and specifically the consumer and retail group, which is a, a new group at Wells Fargo. Um, for a long time, we've been geographically focused, so we covered our large corporate clients with bankers who are sort of in the general area, so I was covering the upper Midwest. Um, but now I'm in uh, a group that specifically is focused on the consumer product and retail sector. I'm spending a little extra time because of the topic tonight. So um, my job is a, a associate relationship manager, you can think of it like a junior banker. So I support senior bankers who own the relationships with large companies. You can think like S&P 500 companies, the biggest blue chip companies, kind of all the way down to maybe a billion dollars in revenue, which would not be an S&P 500 company, but large companies. So locally here, it's like Target, Best Buy, Cargill, General Mills, names like that. And I support the senior banker. We serve as the point team for Wells Fargo for these clients. And so we service them in all sorts of ways from the classic kind of banking side of credit, deposits, cash management, to more exotic stuff like investment banking or um, interest rate management, stuff like that. Um, I've been in that group for a little over 18 months. And, um, and I was thinking about it, and this whole topic of faith and work, it, it's definitely been an interesting 18 months. I feel like I've had probably the least amount of direction that I've had in my career so far. So I, I must be to the point where you kind of got to figure it out on your own. There's no hand-holding anymore. And it, um, it hasn't always been, like, my favorite job so far. 
Uh, probably the, fir the first two things I did, I grew to like a lot, and I'm still kind of growing to like this particular role. Um, and so, let's see, what, what else would I say about that right now? I'll, I'll talk a lot more about um, about my job and just sort of how faith and work come together, um, specifically in my job. So, kind of the, my outline for tonight is we'll spend the first little bit talking a little bit in general about faith and work, the topic, content. Then I'll share some stories. I'll kind of go through a different, couple different categories and share just stories of how I, that's played out in my own life, my own career. And then I'd really like to try to save time for some Q&A at the end. So be thinking about that, be ready for that, so that when we get to that time, um, you got some aerated questions for me, okay? I like that, I like the dialogue, so. And how much time do I have? 40-ish um, minutes 40. for talking and then 13, 20 for a Oh man, because how long did I go over the first time? Like 30 minutes, uh, 20 minutes? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's my problem. On the way here, Heather said, um, don't repeat yourself. You always repeat yourself so much. <laughs> She's right. How about a half hour I'll just raise my hand? You know it's 7.45. Yeah, I've, I've got the clock right there, so I got nice. <laughs> well, how about if I pray? Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for um, these people. Thank you for the food that was prepared and the, the care that went into that, um, that, that work that went in to serve us and, and bless us. And um, Thank you for the folks I met. Thank you for the folks I haven't met. And God, each one of us is made in your image. Each one of us is made to know you. Each one of us has fallen. And yet in Christ, anyone who's in Christ is a new creation. And so we gather tonight as, as redeemed people. And we're trying to figure out what it looks like to do life, um, to honor Christ. So I pray that you would help us. You'd help me. Help me to be clear. And um, I pray that your word, your gospel, your son would be um, I guess revealed to us in, in new ways. I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Um, yeah, so I know the, the topic for the summer is revealed. And I um, I guess probably because mostly of the lack of prep time that I've had, um, I didn't get to kind of weave that through as explicitly as I would like, but I think you'll kind of notice the thread as I talk. So, um, I think the, the important thing to do when we start to talk about integrating faith and work, that was the topic I was given. How do we talk about the integration of faith and work? Is to step back a little bit and think broadly about history, about um, God's creation, about where we stand in the flow, the grand flow of all things. Um, and once we establish that, it actually, I think, starts to make the topic of faith and work a little clearer. So we'll... We'll go kind of quickly through this, but just to, to breeze through something that I'm guessing most of you are familiar with, um, the story of the world, we can sort of encapsulate in the paradigm of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration, or recreation. I'm guessing most of you are familiar with that, but just to, to summarize it, God made the world, he made it good, he made it for our enjoyment, he put man and woman eventually in the midst of the garden to enjoy the garden, to serve him, to... Um, tend to the garden, to name the animals, all this sort of thing. It was all good. And then mankind decided we wanted to be God. And every one of us wants to be our own independent source in some way, shape, or form. And so mankind fell into sin, and God judged the world. 
He cursed the creation, he cursed man, he cursed woman, um, he cursed the serpent. And in that, he promised a redeemer. And the redeemer is Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ came, he conquered death, conquered sin, by being a substitute in our place. He accomplished redemption. And throughout history, in your life, if you're a Christian, that redemption that was accomplished, the Spirit has applied to your life as you've believed in Christ, as you've trusted in Christ. The, the redemption Christ accomplished has been imputed to you, assigned to you. And now, as Christians, we look forward to the consummation of history. We look forward to Jesus Christ returning. We pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And one day he will re return. He'll split the heavens. He'll come back. And all of history will culminate, and then a new history will start, the history of the new heavens and the new earth, right? So that, I mean, that's our basic hope is, as Christians in, in a very brief um, overview. And I guess I'd like to take that and do a little play with the word integration, right? Because we're talking about integrating faith and work. Let's take integration and sort of retrace our steps through that story. When God made the world, he made an integrated world, didn't he? He made... Um, when he put mankind in that garden, creation was perfect. The garden was perfect. Thousands of years later, Jesus Christ would be in the garden and under very imperfect circumstances and he would fall. But, but Adam and Eve were placed in this very integrated garden. God was present. We actually could talk with God. Um, there was no sin present in the world yet. The creation in some way that we probably can't fully understand this side of the fall, cooperated with mankind, right? So it was a fully integrated reality that Adam and Eve were living in. When the fall happened and God cursed man, cursed the creation, um, I, I think we should think about that as disintegration. So when we think of the term Disintegration. We think of pulverization, right? We think of a bomb going off and everything disintegrates. Or um, you put a, a cube of sugar in water and it dis dissolves and disintegrates. But um, that word just means disintegration. And taking something that's together, that's whole, that is integrated, and dissolving it. And that's what the curse did. The curse dissolved our relationship with God, or disintegrated our relationship with God. We were distanced from him. It, dis it disintegrated our relationship from ourselves because we didn't know God rightly. We didn't know ourselves rightly. And so that's the reason why we all pursue the, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And um, it disintegrated our relationships with each other and the world as well, the creation, the rest of the creation. So when we think of fall, you can think of disintegration. That's what happened. And when you think of the effects of the fall in your own life, you can think of that as being a disintegration. And the work of redemption and restoration is a work of reintegration. God is reintegrating. He's, he's pulling everything back together in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, whom he set over all things and made him Lord over everything. And we could go through Colossians 1 and other, other passages. Um, he is reintegrating everything. That's the work of redemption and recreation. And, and one way to think about this is that we are moving... We're moving forward, but in a sense we're returning to a reality <clears throat> in which the triune God is explicitly and experientially involved in every single thing. The triune God is going to be 
experientially and explicitly involved in every single aspect of our lives. Right now, he's often implicitly involved. We don't see him. Um, we can easily forget about him. Um, experientially, kind of a similar thing. We, we feel distance from him. You know, it's the end of a long day, and we, we'd like to be um, engaged with whatever it is, <laughs> this talk or whatever it is, but we're tired, and we just feel distant from God. There's going to be a day, and this is our hope, when the triune God is experientially and explicitly involved in everything, and that'll be the way it was in the garden, except there won't be any fall this time, right? So that's good. Um, um, so what does this have to do with work? How should we think about integrating faith and work? Well, um, I want to keep that thought of reintegration in your mind because I'm going to come back to it very shortly. But just think about what were you created to do? What was man created to do? What did God say in the garden? And I'll actually take like what comes to mind. What did God, what did God say? What were we created to do? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Okay. Subdue it. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. What else? To name everything. Name everything. Have dominion over the creation. Exercise dominion over the creation. Yeah. Good. What did God tell us not to do? I know it's obvious. Yeah, don't eat, don't eat of the tree. Right? So, it's a relationship boundary marker. He says, here's how you know that you trust me. Don't eat of that tree. Right? Um, so, one way to kind of summarize it is that we were created to honor God by enjoying him, fellowshipping with him, obeying him. We were created to um, have a relationship with other humans, to... Um, not only have a relationship, but to have a spouse and to have children often. Not that that's um, what God calls all of us to, but that's part of relationships, human relationships, right? And then the third thing is that we were called to work. Cultivate the garden. Tend to it. That's what Nathan said. Um, so it's almost so obvious that we, we skip past it, but, but think about it. You exist to work. You exist to work in some way, shape, or form. Now, we hear that word work, and we think, what earns me a paycheck, what I have a career in. But work is more is broader than that, clearly. Work has to do with the production of a family, um, the creation of culture. Um, what it, fundamentally, what it means to be a human is that you're a worker. And when you don't work, when you work poorly, you're actually kind of taking away from your humanness a little bit. Okay, you were you exist to work. So my little daughter Kate, who um, had to step out for a second, she exists to work. And as I raise her, I need to re- I need to train her in such a way that she understands that. She doesn't exist to retire, she or be lazy. She doesn't exist to play. In a certain sense, right? She one of the, the, the great aspects about being human is she exists to work. She exists to labor for something. To, to make sacrifices in order to produce something with her life. Um, so, so work is just central to what it means to be a human being. Um, and again, that's obvious. I'm guessing all of you have heard it a bunch of times. But it's not something that we 
we almost skip past it too, too quickly. Go back to that concept of uh, reintegration. <clears throat> we can say then that integrating faith and work or reintegrating faith and work, and I'll explain this in a little bit, but um, we'll see if this works. It's not like integrating ketchup and mustard, okay? What happens when we have ketchup and mustard? We've got, we've got two separate things. They just sort of exist on their own. They exist independently of each other. They're just sort of out here on their own. And then we bring them together, we integrate them, and we're like, hey, this would be great on beef. This would be great on pork. This would be, this is great with meat, right? That's not the way that faith and work are integrated. We don't have a little bit of faith over here, a little bit of work over here that are sort of separate, that are floating out there, they exist independently of each other. That's not the way that faith and work are integrated. Because, or at least, I think when we say faith and work, we mean spiritual reality and then this secular work. Um, rather, God made everything. Faith relates to absolutely everything. Or, I don't think faith is quite the right term here. Um, even when, we, even when, you know, the big shot um, Christian leaders talk about this topic, I don't think faith is the right term. Faith is my exercise of trusting God, and that certainly relates to work. But what we really mean is, how does this relate to my spiritual life? Right? How does how does my work relate to my spiritual life? And spiritual reality is everything. Everything is, has a spiritual foundation. Nothing that God made in this world exists apart from him. And in fact, Jesus Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power. So um, there is nothing that goes on in life that doesn't have a spiritual bedrock. And that includes work. Um, and I think that when that really sinks into you, um, that completely, for, at least for me, changed the way that I thought about my work. And I heard that a lot, but it didn't really sink. Um, and I hope that it sinks for you if it hasn't already. Um, and so it's not like ketchup and mustard. Rather, we integrate faith and work the way, and I, I'm kind of crossing categories here, but the way a therapist would help, um, would help a stroke victim relearn the use of their hand. It's not like ketchup and mustard, two independent things out here. We combine them and it's like, oh, great idea. We should use that for something. Um, but instead, as we reintegrate faith and work, um, something in the fall is undone, and we begin to understand our work the way we, that we should have understood it before, apart from the fall. It's like the therapist training that stroke victim. It's something that's being relearned, or it's returning to the way it should have been. Um, so that's what, we, that's what I'm thinking anyway when I think about integrating faith and work, um, which I'm, I'm fine with that term. I mean, everything that I said, <laughs> notwithstanding. I just, the way that we should think about it, it's reintegration. We're getting back to what, to the way that God designed us. Um, so walking through that in just um, a little bit more detail before we go on to um, kind of, I guess, some of the stories from my experience. Um, there's, there's so much that could be said here. There's so many loose ends, I feel like, that, that should be tied together, but we'll just have to kind of skip through. Um, one book to read is um, Every Good Endeavor I, by Tim Keller. I would highly recommend that if you haven't read it. It's worth rereading if you've already read it, and it's worth discussing with other people. Um, just because he, he, he's able to pull out so many, of the, so many of the aspects. I mean, there's so many aspects to this topic. 
And he's able to, in just in one little book that's very readable, and it's not little, but tie in all these issues and talk about them in a very helpful way. I just want to, to kind of walk through his outline from that book very briefly and just make a couple comments to kind of drop, tease it out a little bit more. We won't go into, into depth, but just, I guess, tease it out a little more. So his, his first section is called God's Plan for Work. And um, the, the chapters are called The Design of Work. So what, what is work meant to do? The Dignity of Work. Work is inherently good. It's inherently honorable. Work has cultivation. So work is purposeful. Work is moving towards something over a period of time. It's not just, we don't, shouldn't expect instant results. And then work is service. And this is an important thing. Um, very, very important. I think your generation, which overlap, I'm, I think I'm part of, I'm kind of in between, but millennials, um, I think, think of their lives, we think of our lives as being about our experiences, right? How can I make my life better? And as the gospel, um, as the gospel affects us, that transforms, that transforms our thinking about it. But I, but think about your classmates, think about your own life, think about um, our generation in general. And I think we prioritize our own experiences over just about all else. We're actually willing to sacrifice a lot in order for us to get the right experiences. That's not wrong. But there's a mindset there, and it's been drilled into us ever since we were kids. You can, you know, you can be whatever you want to be, but you got to start when you're like 10, right? Um, it's just, uh, work is meant to be about service. Work is a way that we fulfill the two great commandments. We love God with our work, and we love our neighbor with our work. Actually, one of the primary ways that you can love your neighbor is to do good work. Your neighbor might be a client. Your neighbor might be your boss. Your neighbor might be a coworker, but work is fundamentally about service, and I think um, it's about cultural production as well. But it, there's something fundamental to service, and as you guys um, transition into the workplace, over if you already haven't over the next couple years, um, don't forget that. Don't make your work about you. That's the second section of every good endeavor. Um, it's our problems with work. Work becomes fruitless. Work becomes pointless. Work becomes selfish. So, and that, that last point is probably the most tied into what I was just talking about. Work becomes selfish. It becomes about me and my career, my advancement. And that might be true at Wells Fargo Bank. It can also be true in campus outreach. Um, we're always trying to fulfill that little, um, that lack of identity where Christ hasn't fulfilled us and we're measuring ourselves against other people in a way that's selfish. Or we're doing it for the money, we're doing it for whatever. Um, outside of what we should be doing it for, which is to serve God and others. Um, the other things that are important too, work is fruitless, work becomes pointless. Um, so often we spend a ton of work on something and it doesn't come to fruition. It stalls out. It doesn't work the way we're supposed to. We have to, you know, pass it out. That's true. That's, I believe, the result of the fall. Or work becomes pointless, which is similar, but it's it's a little bit more existential than that. It's a little bit more like, why am I doing this? Right? There's no, when I, when I get old and die, like who's gonna care if I did it this way or that way? Right? Um, tied into work becomes selfish, his last chapter in that section is work reveals our idols. And I think I underestimated this. I'll talk a little bit more about that um, when, I, when I share kind of my story, but it's so true. And 
you may think that, you may anticipate that your work will not, or that you'll overcome it, and God, God may be very gracious, and, and that might be true. But it's surprising the forces that come out at work. Um, I like to think of work as God's gym. He's working me out, training me, um, working out all the, the fat that accumulates in my heart, and work is a unique context for him to pull that out. Um, and then the, the third section of the book is the gospel and work. So a new story for work. Um, and we don't have time to go into all to, to the depths of this, so read the book, but a new story for work. What is the world's story for work? Could you answer that question? You're about to enter that story. Do you have a different story that you, that's going to fuel you? Um, uh, a new conception of work, kind of similar. A new compass for work. Compass. Compass points to true north, right? What's the true north in your idea of your career or the work that you're doing? What's the true north? The gospel provides a new compass for work. And then finally, a new power for work. So the gospel motivates, has the, has the power to motivate you in your work, has the power to um, uh, fulfill you in your work. So it's, it's a new power for work and how you do it, how you relate to, to the people that you're going to have to interact with. So what are a few basic implications? Um, <clears throat> I would say work is not about you in that sense. Your, your work is not about you. And again, the messages that you've heard and that you will continue to hear is that it is all about you. Okay? It's not all about you in that sense. But neither is it just sort of relegated off to the side. It's not like it's some sort of sideshow in your life. It's actually like we, I mean, back to what we said at the beginning. It's a, it's a fundamental part of who you are as a human being. <clears throat> and when you actually do it right, you can discover yourself in your work. It's a unique context for discovering yourself. So it's, it's not about you, but it kind of is about you. God gave Adam work. He didn't just sort of not care who, who did the work. He gave Adam work, didn't he? And he's going to give you work. He's given me work to do, both at, in my job and all the other vocations that he's, he's given me as a husband, a father, a son, a brother, um, a friend, a member of Bethlehem Baptist Church, or, or, or members. Um, so uh, that's one thing. Second thing, um, very similar, your work is not ultimate. As you dive into a career, work takes on a life of its own. Um, the, the British pastor, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, um, the good doctor is what his friends called him because he was a doctor before coming to Christ, and then he became a Christian pastor. And he said in one of his sermons that he knew many a man, this is applicable to you, right? He knew many a man, and on their, um, oh wait, let's see. No, I think, I think what happened is he saw this on a gravestone, and he just knew that it applied to so many people. But it said, born a man, died a doctor. What was going on there? Well, this gentleman's career had taken over his entire life so that his whole identity, what was ultimate to him, was his identity and his vocation, right? And that can easily happen. And I know that it happens in the medical field because I've had enough medical f friends in the medical field who can attest to that. But it happens everywhere. I mean, I, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina for some meetings last week, and I, I saw people whose whole lives is 
are you know geared around finance. They made a, they made tons of sacrifices because that they maybe shouldn't have made because that is ultimate in their lives. It's not ultimate, but neither is it a sideshow, like I said. In fact, human work is one of God's most creative stories. So if God was a, a movie director, if he was an author, our work is actually one of his best work, you know, his best films, basically. I mean, some of the most amazing stuff in this world is what people have done with their lives. Right? I mean, that, isn't that the whole kind of point? Um, and that, that's what work is. It's what we do with our lives. Uh, third thing, the whole wide world is your playground, with very, very few exceptions. So um, you can kind of do whatever you want, and you can honor God in that. So you should have a ton of freedom as you approach um, new jobs or new careers or whatever. The, the whole wide world is your playground. God has put it in front of you, and the fall aside, you can do whatever you want and enjoy it and have fun with it and invest yourself in it. Um, and then lastly, um, there's no particular hierarchy of vocations. It's not like there's some work that's better than other work. Or some workers who are more valuable than other workers. Not in the ultimate sense. I mean, we might, some people get paid more, some people do, you know, the uh, air traffic controller has a job that is more important than my job, right? But it's not, that's not the way it's measured. And no matter what you do, if you do it to God's glory, if you do it for him and you do it for your neighbor, that part of your life will not burn up when you get to the end. I think about that a lot. You're going to stand before God someday, and uh, the passage in Corinthians talks about how this, the crap in your life will burn away. I don't want very much of my life to burn away. If you do your work, loving God and loving neighbor, it will, it will stand the test of time. <laughs> okay, so... Switching over to my own story, I just thought of like five different categories, and um, I'll try to share some stories. Um, so, what you know, what personal questions and wrestlings have I dealt with with this topic? Well, I was um, in college. I was very involved with campus outreach, and like just about all of my friends who were involved with campus outreach, I wrestled heavily through should I go on staff or not, and um, ended up taking the job with Wells Fargo. And the six first six months of my of my job, I was like, does this matter? Does this matter to God? Like, there's people dying and going to hell. Um, and I'm spending most of my time working in spreadsheets, reading, you know, earnings call reports from these companies that, I don't know, they make a ton of money. It's too many zeros for me to count. Does this, does this work matter to God? So I wrestled through that. Um, and I came out on the other side through a lot of the you know, every good endeavor was really helpful. There were some other works that were really helpful. Actually, probably Tim Keller's sermons more than anything on this topic helped me. Um, and yes, it does. And that was part of that divide that's in our minds that it's hard to shake, where it's like um, we don't really have a fully integrated view of what this world is. We have this divide, sacred and secular, don't we? And it, you almost don't even realize how strong that is until you aren't doing something that you feel is super valuable. That's another, that's another millennial thing. We want to do stuff that changes the world. And it doesn't feel like you're changing the world if you're crunching numbers you know, later than you're supposed to. Um, so I had to wrestle through that. And I did. Uh, I wish I, you know, if you want to talk about it, I could, I could share more about that. 
Um, another question, how, how can I do this work and advance in my career without becoming the man who died of anger? Because all the senior, all the people who manage and all that, I see the amount of time that they have to put in. Can I, can I do that? Can I, can I have success in my work? Can I enjoy my work? Can I, do I feel like I have a, a path to succeed? Can I do that without succumbing to it? And I still don't know the answer to that question. I'm still working through that. I think I can, but I don't know. And there might be a, there might be a level at which I might need to say, hey, my other callings in life keep me from doing this. I don't feel called, I'm not called to sacrifice in other ways to take this job. Um, third thing uh, under this kind of bucket, how do my identity and my work relate? As a Christian, my life is not based on my work. It's based on Christ's work, isn't it? Um, it's not what I, I'm not like Batman, um, uh, Christopher Nolan's Batman. What I do doesn't define me, actually. Right? He says throughout, I think he says it in every single movie, uh, it's what I do that defines me. And, and in, a, in a gospel sense, no, it doesn't. Well, Christ did define me. Right? And yet, at the same time, there's the reality of legacy. There's real. You know, I think about my, my grandma who just died in February. Um, uh, she lived a very full life. She lived a, a life that blessed other people. She left a legacy. And you know what? In a certain sense, what she, what she did with her life did define her. Not ultimately, but derivatively, out of her identity with Christ. It did define her. And we will be known by the content of our actions. It's not, our identity isn't just established in Christ and then we forget about it. Um, so, and to go back to the kind of the very beginning, God made us to work. So, you're, we are not experiencing our identity in Christ if we're bad workers. Our identity is founded in Christ, but then he, he takes us through life to continue to establish it and grow that and, and plumb the depths of what that means. So, question that I still think about a lot. Um, what sins come out of my work? What has, what has work revealed? Um, well, I would say probably money idolatry. Uh, it's surprising. I didn't probably, I knew this, but I didn't really fully realize it until... Um, we were expecting Kate, and Heather was going to quit her job, and that fear of, okay, that, that income's going away. Like, can I provide enough to support us? Um, gripped me for several months. And it was, it produced a lot of conflict between the two of us. Um, that was my fault, and we had to work through that. So greed, doing it for the money. I'm, not, I'm no longer doing it to serve God and others, and yes, earn a paycheck to take care of my family and my, and my own needs too. But, um, but instead, you're doing it for the money. Some of you are, may be interested in jobs because of what it pays and not because you're good at it, not because you really like it. Maybe. Something to think about. Don't do the job just for the money. Um, that idolatry will flare up and it has the power to ensnare you. Uh, performance idolatry, this is a big one. Um, so if you do well, you feel great. If you do poorly, you feel terrible. Or eye-pleasing, right? Boss walks by, put down the phone because you're texting your friends and look like you're busy. That's idolatry. That's man-pleasing. It's actually, I love how, how uh, uh, in the weeds the Bible gets sometimes. Um, 
Colossians 3 um, into 4. Don't, uh, shoot, I mean, I'll forget the particulars. It's basically, uh, don't do your work as a man, by way of eye service, as a man pleaser, but do your work for Christ. Paraphrasing what it said. Don't do eye service. Don't just look like you're doing the work. Actually be doing the work to Christ. Um, so that, that was another thing, performance idolatry. Um, or is another thing. And then um, fulfillment idolatry. And the way that this probably has showed up the most is, is this work what I want to do? Is it fulfilling me? Could I be enjoying my life doing something else? And for me, you know, I, I wrestled through the, the, the staff versus, uh, um, I guess, banker decision. But even now, all the time, I would love to read a lot of books. I'd probably, I'd probably like to be, you know, a university professor or something like that. That's not what God has called me to. I mean, to take my family through that transition right now, given that I don't feel a strong leading to do that, that's not what I'm called to. And yet, I'm, my heart is always like, is there something better out there that I'm missing? And you guys will experience that too, no matter, I mean, unless you get your absolute dream job, you'll experience that. So I continue to wrestle through that. Um, how has the gospel empowered me at work? Uh, it's, it's empowered me a lot, although as I thought about it, most of the stories that come to mind are from a couple years ago. I don't think I've been as empowered by the gospel at work lately. Um, so it's something to always be cultivating. But a couple stories. Um, there was one time we had a new hire in my previous group. This is probably three years ago. Yeah, two years ago, something like that. We had a new gal who was hired to do similar work to what I was doing. And, um, you know, I helped her kind of get up to speed. Uh, and we ended up working on a particular credit deal together. So we were looking to underwrite a new loan to the Wisconsin Department of Transportation. That was the group I was in then. And, um, you know, she was assigned the memo, but I helped her on it. And the memo turned out pretty good. And it turned out pretty good because I had a lot more experience than she did in the space. I helped kind of smooth over the, the rough spots that she had. And I don't say that to brag. I mean, that would just be the reality for any of us, right? And um, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I went into her boss's, who's the equivalent of my boss too, her, his office, and um, we were talking about the deal. And he said, hey, this is a really good memo. I'm really impressed by Jackie. Um, she, she did a great job. And as we talked about it, I was like thinking, yeah, and the reason you liked it is because of all the stuff that I added, right? And man, in that moment, I so badly wanted to be like, I don't know, some coy way of being like, well, you know, I helped her out, kind of thing. And he knew that. It was amazing to me how strong that desire was. Um, and I felt it all the way out of his office, all the way back, and I had to stop and pray because it was like, I couldn't believe how strong it was. And you're gonna experience stuff like that yourself as well. Uh, the gospel helped. Why? Because, and it actually turned it on its head, uh, because what was I doing by not saying anything? What was I doing? I was letting her take the credit for what I did. Who does that sound like? 
that's, what, I mean, that's, that's my, my whole identity is what Jesus Christ did for me. And, and he died to give it to me. I mean, sure, he gets the, the eternal glory and credit. But he died. Like, he, he sacrificed so that I could have his name. And there'll be lots of times when others will get the, the credit for what you do. Um, and sometimes it may result in not getting the promotion you want or, I don't know, some sacrifice. Are you prepared to be excited about that after you process it because of what Jesus did for you? The gospel is a new power for work. Um, there, was a, there was a time where um, my boss's boss in that same group, kind of a volatile guy, um, asked me to do something that I didn't feel comfortable doing. It was kind of misrepresenting some data. And uh, I told him that, no, I didn't feel comfortable doing that. And he, um, he got angry and kind of threatening, like kind of physically. Like I was sitting at my desk and he kind of got close to me. And it was weird because like, all of a sudden I felt like unsafe. Like I wasn't sure what he was going to do. It was kind of a big, it was an important thing that was going on. And it was going to reflect on him in some way, shape, or form. So he, he got upset. He got angry. He kind of sort of threatened me. And um, my boss happened to walk in at the tail end of it and was like, she walked out. And then she and I talked about it later. And um, you know, I, I had to wrestle through that because I felt so many emotions. I felt kind of wrong, violated. I wasn't sure like how to handle it. Um, but the gospel provided resources for what it looked like to forgive him and to be able to return to it and try to understand his perspective. He's from the kind of the old South and um, probably has a different view of authority based on my knowledge of him than I do and what it looks like to be kind of in a boss employee relationship. So from his perspective, I might have, I've always been taught at Wells Fargo to, to voice your opinion no matter no matter where you're at in the, in the chain, but maybe he had a different expectation. And the gospel gave me resources to, to do that because what had I done to Christ except be angry at him for my own problems, right? Um, and he died for me. He, he, took, he took the nails, he took the spear for me. So the gospel, there's all sorts of things where that plays out. The gospel gives you resources to deal with stuff at work. And you, yeah, you may not deal with it amazingly right away, but wrestle through it. Learn to apply the gospel to those, to those contexts. How do I do ministry at work? Um, three things real quick. The work itself is an offering and service to God. The work itself. You don't, it doesn't have to be accompanied by, I'm doing this in Jesus' name. It doesn't have to be accompanied by uh, you know, prayer. It doesn't have to be accompanied by making sure you're doing a Bible study with some coworker in the morning. The work itself, if you're doing it for Christ and doing it to bless others, is good, and it will stand the test of eternity. So um, that has really freed me to do my work. I don't. I'm not. I don't always have to be wondering like, oh, should I be evangelizing right now? Say like, no. God's called me to do some work. That's what He's called me to do, and I pray for doors as they come to evangelize. Right. But the work itself is good. Gotta be careful with that because you can get very lazy then in terms of spreading the gospel. But you can also be very enslaved to needing to feel like you have to show the gospel, or maybe you shouldn't be doing banking, maybe you should be doing campus outreach ministry staff or something like that. And I, I have a passion for people not, not to be stuck that way. Um, so the work itself, 
Another way, I think, is just listening and caring for others. Um, I don't think our society does that very well. Um, so the ministry of blessing others by hearing them, getting to know them as individuals. Um, I, I desire to do that right now at work with a guy who um, is, is gay and completely aside from the gay aspect, although that people do look at him a certain way at work because he's gay. Um, because he sort of lacks confidence and doesn't do great work um, and is perceived as lazy, might be a little lazy, people speak poorly of him. And I just want to get to know him more. I'd, like, I'd love to sh- share the gospel with him, but I'd like to get to know him more. So, um, and just get to know his story a little bit. So we grabbed coffee this morning, and um, we didn't talk about anything spiritual. We didn't talk about Jesus. We didn't do any of that. Um, but to me, that's, that's ministry. Loving, lo- loving everyone, and especially the people who others don't love. And just listening and caring for everyone. Um, and I, again, I it's very easy for me to... I'm not trying to hold myself up as an example. I'm just saying this is what ministry looks like day to day. Um, and then there's the more explicit gospel ministry. So there's a guy that he and I have done several Bible studies um, together. There's people who I've had more just like, hey, what do you think about when you're lying in bed? Do you think about eternally, eternity? Like what happens when you die? Or we talk about... Um, one-off conversations about different topics and the gospel comes up, Christ comes up. Um, the thing I would encourage you all to do with that is don't be afraid to name the name of Christ. It's amazing. I, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's that people-pleasing you know, thing that I've got going on. But um, it's amazing how hard it is sometimes to just acknowledge that you're a Christian. Especially in a professional environment where people don't like to talk about that. So just acknowledge that you go to church, acknowledge that you are in a small group or whatever, acknowledge that you love Christ or, ooh, that'd be, that would be really weird. If I said I love Jesus at work, I don't know, that would, like, I don't know that I could say that without, like, a massive struggle inside. Um, I could say it one-on-one, but just to say it when there's, like, other ears listening in, I, I, I would be ashamed. So... Anyway, gospel ministry, explicit gospel ministry, tons of opportunities for it. You just got to look for it and make yourself available. And that, that listening, that listening and caring ministry opens a lot of doors. Um, I'm going to skip the last question because we're running out of time. Um, so just some wrap-up thoughts, and then I want to do some Q and A. Um, and this is a little bit of recap, but in one way, your work matters much less than you think it does. It just does. It matters a lot less. Don't be too self-important. But on the other hand, it means way more than you think it does in a different way. It means there's an eternal weight to it. And when that lands on you, that's called humility. And you're actually able to do your work really, really well with a lot of freedom, a lot of joy, even if you don't like the job, a lot of service, even if you're not treated very well. It's called humility. Learn humility in your work. Learn what it means that it doesn't matter very much, but it matters a whole lot. Applies to everything, but apply it to work. And then the last thing, um, some of you are in the midst of this, but you're about you're about to downshift in life. If you were pretty involved with campus outreach, um, you're involved in a highly integrated environment. You're about to downshift into a more disintegrated environment. Are you ready for that? 
Are you mentally prepared for that? Spiritually prepared for that? Um, so the scenery is going to look a lot more like Iowa and less like Hong Kong. Okay? More like Iowa. It's going to be flat. You can get good gas mileage by setting your cruise control and just going for a long period of time. But it can be a little boring. Okay? But it's going to be like that. And you are at great risk, because I've seen it happen to so many of my friends, it happened to me. Um, you're at great risk to become very bored, impatient, discontent, and I think especially lonely. Are you ready for that? Is the gospel enough of a resource to give you fuel for that? So that's it. And um, we'll do some Q&A until, I guess, Nick shuts me down. hear a lot about following your passion and trying to find something that you really, really enjoy and that you just like really feel called to. So how do you balance um, trying to find like where your niche is in work um, versus just doing all work to God's glory? Or specifically, I have a friend who um, what, had thought his passion was in theater and was really striving after that, and then that hasn't worked out for him. And so now he's doing something that he's moving towards a direction that just pays the best. So like, what would you say to him or someone considering that? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of things going on, and that is, man, that's all over the place. And if there's one message, I think that probably high school and college drill into you, it's that. Find something you're passionate about. Um, there's truth to it, but I'm going to skip the truth and go to the dangers. One of, one of the dangers is that you actually don't know yourself very well. You don't know what you're truly passionate about. There's lots of people who get into some kind of work and figure out that they actually don't like it, after all. Um, and so because you don't, if you don't know yourself very well now, what makes you think you're going to know your passions that well at some point down the road? Um, and so I guess where that would leave me is trusting in God's providence. What, what doors seem to be open in your life? And we can't identify something and be like, this is God's will, clearly. Like, I should follow it. He hasn't revealed himself like that to us. I mean, generally, some people have a very strong calling. But typically, it's going to be providence. What doors does God open to you? Where do your interests lie today? Um, and be willing to invest there. Be willing to take the risk of saying no to other things. Um, and yeah, that's, that's OK. Um, ultimately, you may never, ever do anything that was your passion. My dad, I don't know that he's passionate. He, he likes his work. He's an accountant. He's a controller for a small company, but I, he's never been passionate about his work. Um, and yet he left a legacy. Has, I mean, continues to. I've got young siblings at home. Um, and I, I see it of hard work for others, uh, pursuit of excellence. It's something that he'd probably rather be doing something else. Um, that's part of the sacrifice. Work is not ultimately about you. I guess I would put it in that bucket. And you can find fulfillment, actually, as you do something that you maybe don't get as excited about, but you're doing it for, for Christ and you're doing it for others. It can be, yeah, if you find something that you're, if you get into something that you're super passionate about, it's so easy, it becomes about you. It just does. So, um, yeah. Does that help? Yeah.
What kind of uh, what kind of scriptures would you reference for kind of helping to decipher the difference between working extremely hard, succeeding, kind of progressing, uh, or maybe what checks and balances have you tried to put in place for how do I know and distinguish the difference between working hard in a way that glorifies God and working out hard just like for my own accomplishment? Sure. Good question, and that's actually. So my lack of prep probably showed up the most in the lack of biblical references outside of sort of the, the casual ones. Um, I think of before you're a master, you stand or fall. And that means that um, you have to have integrity yourself. There, you're not going to always know. You're not going to always know if you do, what your motives are. Um, we don't understand ourselves. Our, um, the Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Um, I, I don't know my own passions and what I get excited about. I don't know what's a good fit for me. And I also don't know the depth of idolatry <laughs> or the depth of sin that's going on. And um, there's always going to be sin lurking at the door or even that we're not aware of, like just sort of lurking somewhere. We don't need to be paralyzed by that because of the gospel. The gospel gives us a lot of freedom. So take steps forward looking for Looking for stuff that looks like sin, smells like sin, seems like sin. I mean, not on a hunt for it, but just be have your nose and, and eyes and ears open and confess it and be transparent with it. Um, you know, if you, to the brothers or sister, brothers and or sisters that are around you um, as part of a small group community or, you know, your Christian circle, confess those kinds of things, even if they're kind of mundane. Because you don't want to get down the road where you didn't deal with it, and then all of a sudden it turned into a real monster. You know, and your wife and kids or whatever are picking up the pieces. So, um, um, be aware of it, confess it, and at the same time walk in freedom. Pers- don't be too so afraid of sin that you're not like figuring out what it means to actually do it for Christ, which is not an easy thing to figure out. That. You ask, you ask for scriptures. Heart uh, is deceitfully wicked. It's before your own master that you stand or fall. The Colossians 3 passage, um, if you do the uh, inductive method or some other Bible study method, it's at the end of Colossians 3, I can't, 22 to 25 maybe, something like that. Spend some time working through that passage and using it like a mirror. I think that would be helpful. Um. What are some of like your hopes and dreams and prayers for Wells Fargo, your department, your financial sector? Um, some of that including you and some of that just kind of favorite things that God you would love to see God do. Yeah, that's a good question. See, this probably goes back to the last 18 months. I feel like I've gotten kind of flabby. So even prepping for this has made me think about that. Um, Right now, I feel like I'm still sort of adjusting to my role. I'm probably more self-focused than I like to be. I mean, there's transition points like that, so a little more self-focused than group-focused. Um, and I think a lot comes from praying for the group. So in my old group, I got to a point of where I wasn't so focused on my own performance, but I was able to, to think about the group and, and pray for the group more often. So I would spend time. Now, I still have the calendar invites, but they're kind of old and dusty. I need to, to refresh them, kind of praying for different groups of people that I work with at the bank um, and just asking that God would, you know, you get to know different things that are going on in people's lives. If somebody's sick in their family, they're, 
they have a tough relationship with one of their kids, somebody's getting married, you know, like, and you can pray, pray for that. Um, and then I think that, for me, at least, kind of stirs up vision. Um, the financial industry, because there's so much greed and corruption, by and large, there's not as much as the media would like to portray, but there is a lot. We end up with stuff like the Great Recession, 08, 09, and that resulted in a lot of people losing their jobs. Um, the thing I skipped over there at the end, the, the last kind of question, was what is, what is my theological vision for work? What's, what's the engine that, that, that connects the gospel to work for me? And it's uh, something I would call faithful presence. And part of the reality of faithful presence is that I would hope that myself and others who are in the financial industries, um, industry, financial services industry, um, would be thoughtful about the work that we're doing. That we would realize that it's so, as soon as you get away from the, from the primary revenue source and you start slicing and dicing stuff in order to figure out other ways to make money, you're not really serving God or people anymore. You're just kind of serving the bottom line. That's a, that's a temptation in the finance industry. But we're compensated based on numbers. Got to hit your numbers. Maybe. Right? I mean, that's what, that's what they tell you. So um, I would hope that over time, faithfulness would look like uh, saying no to the appropriate things, saying, being thoughtful about my, my vocation in, in, the, in the ways that it goes wrong. Um, Wells Fargo feels like a big, a big thing to dream. Uh, Wells Fargo's highly progressive. It's high, I mean, there's the, the LGBT group, the pride group is front and center on a lot of, like our, our intranet site, it's, it's there all the time. Um, we had a transgender ally training that everybody got invited to. It was like an email sent to every employee. So I took that. Um, um, you weren't forced to take it. I, I was just like, oh, what's this about? This will be interesting. Um, I see that as part of being faithfully present. Understand my company. Understand what we stand for. You know, we stand for inclusivity and in a way that I, I can't accept. I, I, wanna, I love everybody, but um, I can't accept that kind of thing. So, and then who knows? I mean, I don't know, guys. I don't, I, I don't get into the crystal ball prediction stuff, but it could easily be that in 20 years you have to sign something at a place like Wells Fargo saying, I fully support the rights of X person in a way that you can't as a Christian, at least as a Christian who's committed to the work. Um, what do we do then? It would be interesting if that happens. I don't think it's going to happen, but stuff's changing a lot. So I would love for that to change. That's going to require a lot of people being faithful and present in the company over a long period of time. What were some of the categories when you like graduated within those like first like, six, eight months that you were thinking between um, working for Wells Fargo long-term versus like, going on staff? Like, how did you kind of what were the categories that you were thinking through when you were considering like a more traditional vocational job versus like ministry or like focusing on that? Yep. Well, uh, the one of people are dying and going to help. So how does that weigh in my in my work choice? You know, where where do I where do I spend my time? Um, I think just the the calling of the Lord. I mean, he. Again, Providence. He opened, he opened a door to Wells Fargo. I probably didn't deserve to be 
to get into the job that I got into based on the amount of time and effort that I put into my, to trying to get that first job. I'm amazed, I mean, you guys have to do, at least as I see it from afar, a lot more work than people even 10 years in front of you had to do. If you're pretty ambitious and you want like a certain kind of job, you have to be thoughtful in high school or even earlier about what you're doing. And um, I feel like I kind of backed into the, to the job that I got and it was really good, it was really good for me, it was a great environment for my specific skill set and engagement level. Um, and there's also just like the category of conviction of sin I got um, in, in terms of being lazy because all these questions combined with laziness. It's the fulfillment idolatry, I think. Laziness is downstream from fulfillment. A desire, eh, this can't fulfill me or won't fulfill me or it doesn't. And so I'm not going to be faithful to the calling God has for me. And so my, my six-month review um, was on a five-point scale. And if you're on, if you're like a one or a two, then you, you get put on a performance plan. And uh, my boss said, okay, I probably should put you on a two. But there's so much paperwork and stuff that goes into that. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing a little bit here, but that we're going to go with a three and you got six months to kind of figure it out. It's funny even saying it like that because Dave Bendel, my boss, is like the most soft-spoken, quiet, like almost like mousy guy that, uh, that I've worked with. But um, that was the message. And that was really helpful for me in terms of I recognized that I was actually sinning in the way that I was behaving and passing it off like an existential question. So time rolls on and we find ourselves in certain situations. I accepted the job, I was doing the job, and I wasn't being faithful in the job. Regardless of what else, maybe in a year God was going to call me to, to, to quit and go work with Campus Outreach. But I was called to be faithful in that moment. So I think conviction of sin was a helpful category. There's probably others, but those are some of them. What ways have you seen kind of God um, just win glory and keeping you from money idolatry or just helping you to overcome that? Maybe what methods of accountability do you use? Well, I haven't taken the Tim Keller's advice of opening up your checkbook and to a trusted friend and letting him see how you spend your money and asking them, is this in line with my identity as a child of God? Is this, is this appropriate? I haven't done that. I've thought about it, but not, not too seriously. Um, but I, I guess I do talk about it a little bit with the guys in my small group, periodically. Um, so try to be, I want them to know that they can talk to me about my money at any time. So there's just an open invitation. They can talk to me about anything in my life at any time. So money included. Um, yeah, probably a big thing is my wife. Heather's a lot more generous with her, her money than I am in possessions. She's, you know, we, um, she'll volunteer our car to somebody, and in my heart I'm like, like, what if something happens to it? You know, like, that'll be, you know, annoying and awkward. And she's just free with it. Um, and I'm probably more generous with my time, and she's more protective of her time. So we, we help each other in that way, and she, she's a real helper for me. She, um, it really helped walking through with her transitioning away from earning a paycheck, to seeing the, 
the effect that my, I'll call it greed, or lust for money, lust for security, something like that. Um, the effect that that had on her was, was damaging. And that's when it was like, ooh, like, it's not just my problem. It's like, I'm bringing this into my family. And God used that to convict me, too. So, um, and she's good with, with giving. So she's, she's probably better with, like, spontaneous giving and being willing to, to, to help people as needs arrive. And she, as needs arise, and she, um, she thinks that way. And so over time, that's helped me to think, think more that way, too. And be excited to give. Be excited to, like, hey, somebody is in need. Like, here's a couple hundred bucks. Like, they just, they need it. Let's... I don't know. It, it becomes fun, um, and I kind of like to plan it out and you know figure out what our ongoing giving looks like and um, things that we're invested in, things that we get excited about supporting. So, I don't, does that answer your question? Well, how would you nuance it? Answer what I follow up. Yeah, I would just I would just look for maybe because I think those are good. I, I mean, it sounds like God has kind of convicted you in that area. So just maybe. Yeah, I, mean, I I see God working that way. I mean, I'm excited to to give now. You know, I get my annual bonus comes right around the time that we get our tax returns. So we get a, like a kind of a big inflow of money. And it's like, okay, like what can we what can we give to from this? And um, I mean, I'm a, I've always been excited about giving, but there's always it's it's not really even so much about giving. It's more like, do I make enough to to you know take care of my wife the way that she wants to be taken care of or do I have enough money in the bank so that I feel secure and safe? Um, and God hasn't take me, taken me through a big financial trial yet, but that process helped me to trust God more. Then, I mean, I just didn't realize how much I was trusting in money. You know, I, it's hard to quantify, it's hard to kind of nail down, but it was the reality. So that, that experience of seeing the effect on Heather convicted me and helped me to be like, yeah, if our savings goes to nothing, or I lose my job, or something like that, God will provide. God will take care, and I can trust Him. It's kind of generic. What have you found are the best ways to set your mind on Christ and remember to be a witness while you're at work? Because I feel like that's a lot easier to do, like in your car before work or in quiet time, but like actually while you're in the corporate culture during the nine five day. Yeah. I think um, if you have an eternal perspective and you remember that, you know, the same the C. S. Lewis quote, everybody that you meet will either be will either be somebody that you are tempted to worship or something that if you could see it now, you would recoil in horror. Um that people are people made in God's image, every single one. So Michelle that sits across from me, Heidi who sits next to her, Mark who sits next to her, he's a Christian. Um, he goes to YZ at Free. Um, Julius sits next to me. Jim Hines, who's a, who's a big wig, was in town, sat next to me today. Um, all those people, and everybody else on my team, everybody else on my floor. I, if, if that can be a reality for you, I, it all kind of 
that, that's just a lens that helps you remember and not forget. Um, and then all sorts of things that come up during the day that, that reveal what you're trusting in apart from Christ is an opportunity, I think if you're sensitive to that, is an opportunity to um, repent on the spot and ask God for help. And a lot of times you have to go right back to doing the work because time's ticking. But let stuff marinate, let stuff sit. Um, don't just move on. Put a little flag by it, bring it up with a brother or a sister or whatever. But um, yeah, don't forget the things that pop up during the day. Look for things to praise God for, things that you've been asking him to do at work or um, unexpected blessings that you weren't asking for that just happened. Um, you get a raise. Thank God. You know, um, something bad happens at work. Learning not to question God, but to re- receive it from God. And, I don't know, just processing all of this stuff with, with God uh, just kind of gets back, to, I mean, whatever you're doing in school, it's the same, same kind of thing, just in a more fast-paced context, and you've got to be able to kind of move in and out of it quickly. I'm not always able to do that very well. I get stuck thinking about the spiritual reality when I should be typing away. But, um, yeah, it's a process. So, you, uh, pray? pray. Father, thanks for, um, thanks for giving us work to do. Thanks for making us in your image. You're a creative God, and we are a creative people. I pray that you would bless and help each one of these people in the vocation that you called them to, um, specifically tonight thinking about what it is that we spend the most of our time doing, whether it's a job that earns a paycheck or like my wife um, being a homemaker or um, even as we might find ourselves unemployed someday or looking for work. God, I pray that we would do all these things to your, your glory, that you would teach us what that means, um, that you would help us, that you would give us a body, a community around us to, to help us. And so... We thank you that you're a faithful God and that we don't have to figure all this out on our, on our own. We don't even have to figure it all out with you, but that we can trust you. You're a faithful God. You will see us through to the end and you will say, well done, good and faithful servant, because of what Jesus Christ has accomplished for us. So we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach Minneapolis, the college ministry of Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach Minneapolis. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at cominneapolis.org.